Well, good morning. All right, maybe out of practice. Third eye again, ready? Good morning. Thank you. And you know, do you ever get angry? I get angry. You know what, you know what makes me angry? If someone starts telling me how to drive my car, <laughs> I get kind of angry, right? You get kind of angry too? I think all of us probably get angry. Do you think, do you think Jesus ever got angry? Do you think God ever gets angry? What do you think would make Jesus angry? What's that? Hurting his people? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to read a story from church today after you guys leave about the time when Jesus got angry. And it was because people were not treating one of his people kindly, right? So let's, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about what would make Jesus angry. And sometimes it's right for us to get angry too, right? Sometimes it's like someone tells me how to drive. That's really not that big a deal, right? I shouldn't probably get angry about that, right? They probably shouldn't be telling me how to drive either, but that's all right. <laughs> but let's think about what makes would make Jesus angry and other times when maybe we should be angry too, right? Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for our children that indeed that you would be teaching them, instructing them in their own hearts, giving them your heart, your passion. And Lord, help us all to be angry at the things we should be angry about, like you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand and bless the congregation. We're going to stand up, find somebody to look them in the eye, right? We're going to say, may the Lord be with you, together on three. One, two, three. May the Lord be with you. Amen. All right, thanks. Perhaps you remember back in January, Mark Hutton challenged us as a congregation to spend this year with the goal of knowing Jesus and making him known. Part of our response to that challenge is this sermon series that we find ourselves in this fall entitled Conversations with Jesus. And one of the ways we get to know anyone is to be in conversation with them. In this series, we are listening in on conversations Jesus had with people and we are entering directly into a conversation with Jesus ourselves through our text. And so we are asking, what did Jesus say and how did he respond to the people and situation of our text? And we are asking, what is Jesus saying to us and how does he respond to us through this text? Each text, then, there are two conversations. The one Jesus had in the first century and the one he's having with us today through the text. I want us then to listen in on a conversation Jesus had with some church folks and a man with a shriveled hand. You can find it in Mark chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. 
You can find it in the Bibles in your pews there on page 992. 1003? Oh, I got the wrong Bible then, right? Thank you. Mark 3, 1 to 6. <laughs> we, uh, as we were praying for worship this morning, Timothy said to me, is anything unusual happening in worship this morning? And we said, we'll see. And so uh, <laughs> we're seeing. <laughs> Mark 3, 1 to 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This too is word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This actually is a brief and very one-sided conversation, right? Only Jesus talks. No one else speaks, although they do respond. Actually, there are two conversations happening, one with the man with his shriveled hand and the one with the folks in the, in the synagogue, the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees, the religious people, the people who took their religion very seriously, they took the scriptures seriously and tried to apply it to their lives. They took the promise of God's kingdom seriously and were scrupulous in their obedience to the laws of the Old Testament, particularly those laws related to the Sabbath, to eating kosher and avoiding anything that was ritually unclean. And so the context of this conversation with Jesus was they were there in the synagogue on a Sabbath and there just happened to be a man there with a shriveled hand. We don't know why he was there. In the story, he is entirely passive. We are not told that he went to the synagogue because he heard Jesus would be there. He was just there. And it is entirely possible that he was there as a plant, as a test, as a temptation. One wonders if he were there because the religious folks invited him to be there. The, the Pharisees wanted to accuse Jesus. We would not be surprised if they found this man and said to them that he ought to come to the synagogue today and, and uh, because they heard this healer would be there so they could see what Jesus would do. And so he shows up, perhaps not realizing that he was just a pawn in this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. But he figured out very quickly that there was more at stake here than whether or not someone could heal his hand. They had the man sit in a prominent place in the synagogue so that Jesus couldn't miss him when he walked in. When Jesus came in, immediately the room was filled with tension. Everyone was watching. Jesus is confronted with the man in need of healing. What would he do? They had picked their object in need of healing well. The law allowed for healing to take place on the Sabbath if it was a matter of life and death. Midwives could help a woman in labor on the Sabbath. 
If a person or an animal would die without your intervention, then you could do the work of healing or helping. But this man would not die if Jesus waited until the next day to heal him. After all, it was just a shriveled hand. However, there was no disability insurance, and so this man's livelihood and that of his family depended on whether or not he would be healed. And so the, the synagogue is tense. What will Jesus do? Everyone is watching. If you were the man with a shriveled hand, you must have felt especially, I think, uncomfortable. Suddenly, you were the object of everyone's attention, not as a man to be healed, but as a test, as a temptation, as a trap. And Jesus calls you forward to stand in front of everyone in the synagogue. And then Jesus has a conversation with the religious folks there, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. Crickets, right? No one says a thing. It is entirely silent. They don't want a conversation. They are conspiring. They are plotting. And so Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand, and immediately as he stretches out his hand, his hand is healed. But before he heals him, we are told that Jesus looked at these religious folks, these Pharisees, in anger, and he was deeply distressed, grieved by their stubborn hearts. That's it. That's the conversation. The religious folks don't talk back. They don't say a word, but they do respond. We are told they went out and immediately began to plot with the Herodians how they could kill Jesus. We want to know Jesus and make him known. What do we come to know about Jesus in this brief conversation? Well, this conversation teaches us this morning, I want to say four things about Jesus. First, we learn about his anger. Only five or six times in the Gospels are we told that Jesus became angry. But we learn a lot about a person about, by what makes them angry. When we see Jesus getting angry, we need to pay attention. Why does Jesus get angry? He gets angry because they won't talk with him. He gets angry because they refuse to be taught, because they are conspiring against the Lord and his anointed in the words of Psalm 2. He gets angry also because they were treating this man with a shriveled hand as a pawn in their political maneuvering. He gets angry because this man was not a person to them who needed to be healed, but he was just someone they could use to accomplish their goal of getting rid of Jesus. What is the conversation Jesus is having with us this morning? Jesus gets angry with us when we won't talk with him, when we avoid his questions of us, when we refuse to engage with him in conversation around particular topics that make us uncomfortable, when through his word he speaks to us and we ignore him. Jesus gets angry when we treat people as objects and not as people. This is true whether you're talking about immigrants at our border or the unborn or people who identify themselves as transgender. Each one is a person loved by God, made in his image and a person of infinite worth. For us to use them for political gain as both of our political parties do makes Jesus angry. Jesus gets angry when we treat any person as an object. 
Jesus is angry when we abuse another person sexually, verbally, emotionally. When we use another person for sexual pleasure or to maximize my profits, we make Jesus angry. Secondly, in this conversation, we learn about Jesus' distress and grief. Jesus is deeply distressed, we're told, because of their stubborn hearts. Jesus grieves over their stubborn hearts. I think this is really important. I think this is really good news for us. Jesus had compassion for the man with the withered hand. We would probably want to say that Jesus loved the man with the withered hand. He had compassion for him. But notice, too, that Jesus had compassion for these religious folks. He is more distressed for them than he is for the man with the withered hand. He grieves over them. He grieves for their hard hearts that refuse to listen. He is distressed because their minds are so closed that they cannot receive the good news he is bringing. He cares enough about them to grieve. They are so blinded by their religious pride that in their determination to keep the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath so that the Messiah and God's kingdom might come, they are so determined that they are blind to the Messiah standing right before them who heals a broken man's hand. You see, it's not like Jesus only cares for the sick and those with broken bodies. He also cares and has compassion for those who are too proud, too religious, too arrogant. They are not his enemies, even though they are plotting to kill him. They are people made in God's image of infinite worth. And for them to miss out on what God is doing grieves his heart. What is Jesus saying to us? He grieves for us, too, in our stubbornness. He doesn't write us off as his enemies, but he is distressed for you and for me. And so we, too, should not simply turn someone into an object of our wrath or ridicule or hatred, but we should grieve over those who refuse to engage with us. Thirdly, we learned about Jesus' courage. Jesus knew exactly what he was walking into. He knew the tension and the conflict that was waiting for him. He knew what healing the man's hand would do, and he, he did not run away from it. He did not run away from the conflict. He dealt with it head on. He invited the man to the front, and he healed him. How easy it would have been for Jesus to, to shake the man's hand and tell him, hey, you know, stop by Peter's mother-in-law's house, you know, maybe this evening after sundown, come by and, and we'll, we'll take care of things, right? How simple, easy would that have been? That's exactly what I would have done, right? Because I want to live my life avoiding all possible conflict, right? And here's a simple way. I'll heal him later. It won't bother anybody. Everything will be fine. He could, he, Jesus could easily have done that. But he didn't. Because he had courage. Jesus is saying to us that we need to have courage. But I'm not sure courage is something that we can possess. I'm not sure any of us here are really courageous persons. What we see in Jesus is that courage flowed out of his anger and his distress. Because of his anger, because of his distress, he was able to act courageously. 
He almost had to act courageously. I don't think Jesus would say to us this morning, be more courageous. I think he would say, <laughs> be more angry. Be more distressed. Grieve more. Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry about the things that make Jesus angry. Grieve over the things that distress the heart of God. And out of that anger and grief, we will be compelled to act. I don't know if we will have courage, but we will act courageously. In the church, I'm afraid sometimes that we have reduced the Christian faith to being nice, to not cause conflict, to not make people feel uncomfortable. Anything that would make me or other people feel awkward or uncomfortable must be avoided. Be nice at all costs. But I think we need to connect more deeply with the heart of Christ and out of that heart of compassion and grief and anger, we are empowered to act courageously. And fourthly and finally in this conversation, we learn about Jesus' knowledge of the human heart and of human sinfulness. Jesus is not naive about human sinfulness. Look at the question that he asks in this conversation. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, the question before Jesus was whether or not he should do good on the Sabbath or not. Is, is it right to do good or to do the evil of refusing to do good? That's the question, right? But the second phrase of the question, is it lawful to save life or to kill? No one is asking that question. The man with a shriveled hand is not going to die. Jesus is not saving a life. Is this just hyperbole for Jesus? Or is he questioning the Pharisees? They are refusing to allow this man to be healed, to do the good of healing him. But they are okay to immediately, the Greek says immediately they went to find the Herodians to find a way to kill Jesus. Say, like, you should not heal him on Sunday or Saturday, the Sabbath, right? But, hey, let's go figure out a way how to kill this person on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, he, he knows exactly what they are doing. He understands fully the wickedness, the sinfulness of their hearts. He knows the depth of our sinfulness. He knows that we will conspire and plot his destruction. And still he came. And still he comes to us today. He knows how stubborn our hearts are, even to the point of crucifying him. He could have avoided this conflict, right? He could have chosen not to empty himself and take on human flesh. He could have kept things pleasant and comfortable. But to save us, to heal us, our sinful rebellion needed to be exposed, brought out into the light. And his passion for us gave him the courage to go to the cross, even though he knew fully how sinful our hearts are. Thank God. Thank God he knows the depths of our sin. He knows it more than we do. Yet still he comes. Finally, I think I said that before, but I, I really mean it this time. <laughs> Finally, our challenge is to know Jesus and to make him known. How do we make Jesus known in his anger, his distress, his courage, and his knowledge of human sinfulness? I want to just say, we can only do this together. 
I don't trust my own anger. I don't trust what I feel angry about is necessarily what Jesus feels angry about. We need each other to sift through what is human anger from what is God's anger, from human anger that destroys to godly anger that gives life. We need each other. No one of us can bear the grief and distress that God feels alone. If God allows us to experience his grief and distress, we will be overwhelmed alone. We need one another to bear this burden. And we need each other to have the courage to follow Jesus in these days. In my life, I think there have been a few moments where I've acted courageously, but only moments. But we can sustain each other. Your moment of courage can encourage me, and my moment of courage can encourage you. We can sustain each other. We need to be a body that embodies this anger and grief and courage, all the while humbly acknowledging our own depth of sinfulness. How do we make Jesus known? I am concerned about my, I think, our timidity when it comes to evangelism. Why are we hesitant to talk with friends, family members, our neighbors about Jesus, about his kingdom? Why are we hesitant to invite them to be a part of the body of Christ here at Blacknall? To have that conversation might bring conflict, right? It might be awkward. Do we need courage? Or do we need the heart of Jesus? His anger, what is happening to people who don't know him, how their lives are lived enslaved to sin and death. Do we need his anger? Do we need his distress for those who are stubborn, who are lost? Yes, it might be awkward. Yes, we might even suffer. But we would be with Jesus. He came for us. Can we not follow him in inviting others to be with him? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks for the conversations you had and the conversations you have with us. Lord, help us to listen well. Lord, thank you that you have shown us the way. Lord, empower us to live in your way. We cannot follow your example by ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit in us, enabling us, giving us your heart, your motivation. We need each other. Help us to be a body of believers here at Blacknell that encourage, enable each other to love and follow after you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.